Our scripture reading for today comes from Mark chapter 6, and we're going to start with verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray. God, we are a group of imperfect people. And as we go through your scriptures this morning, Lord, um, there's a contrast between Herod and these 5,000 people. And I pray, God, that as you give opportunities to change over and over again uh, to people that you love, that we would move into that direction, that we would have that type of a posture, that we would have humble hearts, open minds to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, actually, the, what the verses we're going to be covering this morning are 14 through 44, so a lot of information to, to go through this morning. Um, the last time that we saw John the Baptist uh, mentioned was back in chapter 1, verse 14, where it reads, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so in today's text it is where we're told how the arrest of John happened and the events that led to his death. So back in chapter 1, John is arrested, and while he's arrested, what is happening is Jesus declaring the kingdom of God is at hand, he gathering disciples to himself who he called to be with him so that he could send them out to extend the mission of himself. The disciples of Jesus went out and proclaimed that people needed to repent, and so they casted out demons, they healed many who were sick, and what they said did caused quite an emo a commotion wherever they were going. And so all of these things were happening, and that's the background to bring us to what's here in verse 14. 
King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Now, news traveled about Jesus and his disciples and and what they've been doing, so much so that Herod gets wind of this, and he's troubled by what's happening. See, Herod has a father that we know as King Herod, the Herodians. And King Herod was troubled when he heard about the birth of Jesus, Herod's dad. And, and so Herod, King Herod, hears about the birth of Jesus from these wise men from the east who came to Jerusalem looking for the king of the Jews. It's back in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And so King Herod wanted to be the only king, and so he ordered all males under the age of two years old in Bethlehem to be killed. Pretty insecure guy, threatened by toddlers and infants, but that's who he was. And so rather than attempting to recognize Jesus as king, he sought to kill all of these babies. His son, Herod, not all that different. He, he had an opportunity to repent, but he had John the Baptist killed instead. And this is like many other people who desire to rule over our own lives. You know, we, there, there are similarities between us and the Herodians where we have these opportunities to change and have God reign over our lives, but rather than attempting to do that, we, we fight it and, and it leads us into deeper darkness, into more evil. And so we have to wonder, what, what darkness have we been driven to? What evil have we been driven to because we don't relent our control? We don't release our rule. And rather than recognizing Jesus for who he really is, people look to just explain him away or look to dismiss him. See, all of us have to explain who we believe Jesus to be because he's one of the most influential historical figures of all time who made a really bold claim of who he is. So we all have to explain this, don't we? And so we do have explanations. We have explanations from we believe that he is God to the other side of the spectrum that he never existed. He never existed. But wherever we fall into this spectrum, there needs to be an explanation. So who do we believe Jesus to be? There are many beliefs, and some of these beliefs are simply excuses to dismiss Jesus for who he really is or who he claimed to be. And it's just talk, or it's just shallow beliefs because there is no real interest in pursuing truth. And so like Herod, who met Jesus in Luke chapter 23, but the thing is, Jesus didn't answer any of his questions. You can look at Luke chapter 23 on your own there. Now, why did Jesus not answer Herod's questions in Luke 23? Well, there was no attempt to seek truth on Herod's part. It seemed that the Herod who beheaded John just just got more hard-hearted as time went on 
up to from Mark chapter 6 up to Luke 23, there, there, that all this time that, that his heart was getting more and more hardened and calloused. And, and like Herod, who, who, who met Jesus there in Luke 23, he wasn't the same guy that back in chapter 6, he was kind of speaking out of conscience. Because back here in Mark 6, He's believing that Jesus is John the Baptist resurrected. So there's something to be said that he's, he's thinking about these things. And then when, the, when we get to Luke 23, he's not even interested in that sort of stuff anymore. It says that he's looking for signs at that point. And so you see this callousness developing, these layers of callousness over time building over his heart. And there's this sense of right and there's this sense of wrong going on here in Herod in Mark 6 because he thinks back to John's beheading. He's, he's, he's conscious and, and, and his conscience is speaking to him about the person that he murdered, he, he, that he didn't have to do what he did. Then Mark gives us a flashback starting in verse 17 of how Herod came about beheading John. So verse 17, for it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was righteous and a holy man. And he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. What John said to Herod got him in a lot of trouble. See, John wasn't the, the type of person to pull any punches. He, he told Herod straight up what he did was wrong. What he's doing is wrong. And it wasn't from a place of pride because we all know who John was. When, when asked who he was, he simply pointed to Jesus and he acknowledged that Jesus must increase and I must decrease, right? John chapter 3, verse 10. So we all know John and his, his place, that he was a humble person, but he wasn't afraid to call things out even if it was toward a high official and his wife, who was also his sister-in-law. And so this was adultery. And John pointed that out. And sometimes what we say will get us in trouble. Not because we're prideful. Not because we're unrighteous. But it's because it's not what people want to hear. So how are we listening to his God? How are we listening to his message? His messengers? Now before this flashback, the, the twelve went out preaching repentance. And John gave opportunities for Herod to repent. And he didn't. How are we responding to the gospel that preaches repentance? Are we listening to others like Herodias did? Like Herod did? Or are we listening to the word of God? To the messengers of God? Are, are any of us like Herod, Herodias? And that we're listening to all of these other voices and not putting up the word of God and listening to that? See, Herod admired Jesus, but he admired Jesus from afar. It, 
It, it wasn't an admiration that equated to change. See, hearing the Bible doesn't equate to living by it. And Herod knew John was telling him the truth, yet he chose to live the way that he lived. He, he knew adultery was wrong. He knew fornication was wrong, but he still acted on this pride, on this lust. Herodias didn't even want to hear it. She wanted him dead. You know, I, I want John dead. And so Herod heard John, but what he heard didn't change him. He, he actually protected John from Herodias because he knew John was a righteous and a holy man. And you see how Herod heard and he knew what John preached. He even, he even felt something. He was perplexed, the Bible says, which in the biblical usage can be defined as to be left wanting, to be embarrassed, to be in doubt, not to know which way to turn, to be at a loss with oneself. So Herod knew in his mind what was righteous and what was unrighteous, and he felt something about what John said. So he gained knowledge. He gained this feeling. And sometimes we use the word conviction for that feeling. But you see how that didn't lead to change. This is, quite honestly, something that really disturbs me as a pastor. To teach where people are gaining knowledge. To teach where people feel something. But it doesn't lead to change. As long as the Bible is preached, we will get to a point where some people who are convinced that their unrighteousness is righteous and they will get angry at what is preached. And Herod seemed to be okay with it. He just kind of admired things from afar, and, and Herodias was not okay with this. She wanted John dead. Verse 21, But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And so we see how Herod's lust and his pride continues to get the best of him. He didn't repent. He didn't change. And he had many, many opportunities to do so. And the, and the longer he lived with this lust and this pride, the more difficult it would be for him to change. See, before he married Herodias, John already pointed out this unrighteous decision. Wouldn't it have been so much easier... For him to change back then, way back then, then at this party in front of nobles and military commanders who at, are at, they're at your birthday party and you make a vow in front of all of them to do whatever Herodias' daughter asks of you. It would have been so much easier not to have all those pressures there, right? You know, in, in a couple of weeks, we'll be taking a look at chapter 7. And this is what is written in verses 21 through 23. For from within, out of the hearts of man, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within 
and they defile a person. See, the real problem is that we have a heart problem. We, we've always had a heart problem. It's always been that way. Before Herod and after Herod, we'll have heart problems until the return of Jesus. And Herod is a picture of those who, who know of those who feel something when confronted with righteousness but don't change. And when we don't change, when we're given everything needed to change, we are susceptible to this deeper darkness, to this deeper evil. And so in comes Herodias' daughter. Verse 22 tells us she danced and pleased Herod and his guest. See, she wasn't offered up to half of his kingdom for a lap dance. It was more than that. She pleased him and his guests. See, this, this was a party for a man willing to commit adultery with his brother's wife. Why not his niece? Where a lot of alcohol was plentiful and people are partying in the most vulgar of ways. As a king, you don't give half of your kingdom simply for a dance, do you? Verse 23, and he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. It's, it's really strange how Herod is a man of his word when it comes to this. But he can't stop himself from committing adultery or incest. He's exceedingly sorry, but he won't act on that sorrow. And rather, he follows his lust. He follows his pride. You know, what, what are we doing with what we know from God's word? What are we doing with that conviction, that sorrow, that perplexity we feel when we hear from God's word? Is, is there any change, even though we're gaining knowledge and maybe we are feeling something? I mean, are we indeed like Herod where we just kind of let that stop us right there, listening and feeling, but there's no change of heart? Mark's flashback of what happened to John is now over, and we continue the story from verse 16, from, from when the disciples were sent out by Jesus two by two, proclaiming repentance. And these stories recorded right after one another are not an accident. I think Mark points out that those who don't receive the gospel will go the way of Herod, while those who do receive the gospel will be received in the kingdom of God. And then we go on to verse 30 here. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. It's back into the present time again after this flashback. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So they worked really hard. They got a lot done. And so it was a really good plan for them to now, all right, let's, let's get some rest. 
But their plans changed because they did too good of a job. Right? So they, they, they were stopped because of how successful their ministry had been up to this point. And it's so funny how this works in life. Right? That the better you are at something, the more demand is, there is for you. And so I know some people who are really inflexible about their rest, but we see how Jesus responds to these people. And I also know people who are too flexible about their rest and they never get it. But Jesus is a great example of what to do. And here Jesus puts the rest on hold. Verse 33, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the other towns and and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. We see Jesus' compassion on this, this crowd because They were like a sheep without a shepherd, and God is the good shepherd. And that's common in the entire Bible. We can look at the Old Testament. It's Isaiah 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And here is Jesus, the good shepherd. And as a good shepherd, we'd expect the shepherd to do certain things, like feeding and watering and healing. But what do we find Jesus doing with them? Teaching. Teaching. You know, there are so many good things happening at our church. You know, people praying and worshiping, doing justice, serving, fellowshipping, breaking bread, and teaching. Let's not ever forget that this is part of our times together, that there's a teaching element in our times together. And here there are thousands of people gathered to be taught by Jesus. Now, why did Jesus teach all of these people, but then he was silent with Herod? The hearts are at completely different places. These people came wanting Jesus because of what he and his disciples had done to change their lives. But Herod wanted to meet Jesus because he wanted to see signs. He didn't want change. There was no desire for change. He he wanted a show because of all the stories that he heard about Jesus. Verse 35, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy them themselves something to eat. And so we can see that getting away and resting were, were still on the disciples' minds, which is understandable. I mean, they're really tired. They work long hours, and they've been around a lot of people for a long time. But how often do we act like we're in charge? How often do we have the attitude of, and posture of someone like Herod or, or like the disciples in this instant telling Jesus what, what, what needs to be done, thinking that they're in charge rather than seeking the will of God. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it, give it to them to eat? See, I, I find this really funny because I, have they forgotten who they're with? They have. You'd think that after all the miracles that Jesus had done, they'd be anxiously anticipating how this one's going to work out. Uh, yeah, let's, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And that, 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 here's a kingdom opportunity for, for them to, to be a part of, but I, I guess being tired maybe it has something to do with it, or I don't know, fatigue, I don't know what it is, but they're probably not even thinking about how 
God provided manna to the Israelites in the wilderness back in Numbers. They, they, they've forgotten that God is capable of these things. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So, that, so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And so this was quite a different feast from the one that Herod had at his party. Here they start out with five loaves and, and two fish, while Herod probably had that per person. And here Jesus command them, commanded them to sit in groups, like when Moses put the people in groups to receive from God. And, and we also see here that Jesus told them to sit on the green grass. I find that interesting. Psalm 23, Psalm of David, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Jesus is the good shepherd. Anyone here in a place where you need God to show up in your life? Maybe you're in a situation like the disciples here. You, you find yourself in a place where you need God to do something because you don't know what's going to happen next if he doesn't. But these are the precise types of places that God shows up. Those circumstances that are beyond our control, that are beyond what you and I can possibly do to make them right. They, they are beyond what you're capable of dealing with. Those places where thousands of people are to be fed with five loaves and two fish, that's where God shows up. That's where he tells us to feed his people. And it's those who have little who are able to experience these miracles. And Herod, he had everything. These people had nothing. And out of their barrenness and brokenness and emptiness, out of their lack, is where God speaks, is where God works. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. There was not enough there to feed thousands of people. And the team Jesus was working with, they, they weren't all into this. They, they didn't want to be a part of this, really. This was, this was all Jesus. And it's so much like our lives, we have these limited resources for, for things that we deal with that are right in front of us and the people around us. Maybe people who aren't all that helpful. They're not all that supportive. They're, they're, they're not into what we desire to happen. But it's God that, who's going to pull you through. It's God who's going to pull us through. And they all ate and were satisfied and they took up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. What, what is Mark pointing out to us? Mark is pointing us to Messiah, to Christ, Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. We are to receive him like this bread in faith just as those loaves of bread were broken. He was broken so that those who trust in him will have their sins forgiven and experience life as God intended it. God shows up most gloriously in places that are beyond our control. 
The opportunities of faith, trust, dependence show up in the most dire of circumstances. Last week, um, I'm so grateful for Pastor Steve and his ability to teach the word and preach and to allow me to go away every once in a while. And last weekend, I went to Southern California um, because I, I, I was asked to officiate a wedding renewal vow for a terminally ill relative of mine who asked if I could renew his vows with his wife before their 50th anniversary, which is in a few months, but they don't think that he's going to make it there. It had me thinking about death, how fragile life is. You know, life is so beautiful. Life is so precious. Nothing stands in defiance to life more than death. Which led to other thoughts for me. Like, if no one ever conquered death, there's no hope for me after I die. Thank God that he sent Jesus to conquer death. And that there is indeed a way that I can be part of that victory over death. Thank God. See, the Christian's hope lies completely on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Death either marks the end of a futile life rooted in false hopes, or it marks a celebrated life in a person who lives according to the hope of Jesus where the believer in Jesus as Savior is destined to live again in a glorious way in a world where everything that was wrong in this world was made right. So either Jesus is the bread of life in that whoever eats of it will never hunger, or he isn't. He isn't. It's one of those two things. When we share the good news of Jesus, we need to realize that all we have to offer is what Jesus has given us. That's it. If we open our hearts, minds, and hands to him, he will provide us with everything needed to extend to others what he has already given to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and I pray, God, desperately for people in this sanctuary that they haven't simply just gained knowledge or they just simply haven't felt something, but that it leads to change, that it leads them towards you, an intimacy towards you, a realization of your grace and your mercy and your love for them. In Jesus' name. Amen.